each one of you, and thank you for being here tonight. Earlier this year, a man named Samuel Forrest uh, stood nervously in a hospital waiting room, and he was about to be put to the test. His wife had just given birth to their first child, and when the doctor came out of the delivering room to meet him, he was told that his uh, son had been born with Down syndrome. And Samuel was shocked this had not been expected. He did not know that it was coming, and he was taken by the doctor to visit his son for the first time. And when he held him, he saw how weak and how, how helpless this little boy was. The doctor explained to Samuel something he was not aware of, and that was that in New Zealand, when a Downs baby is born, you don't have to keep them. And Samuel was told that he had a decision that he would need to make. Now, he went and he spoke uh, about this with his wife, and her reaction to the situation was firm and it was cold. She gave him an ultimatum and said, If you want to keep this child, I will divorce you. And Samuel thought about this, and he counted the cost of his decision, and he resolved to keep his son. And he named his son Leo. One week later, his wife filed the papers. It's kind of a moving story, isn't it? I think the reason that it touches something in most of us is that what Samuel did that day is exactly what a father ought to do. A good father stands by his son no matter what. Isn't that right? Usually that is true. But there was a time once when things were not quite so simple. And so tonight I want to talk with you about another father a father who was also put to the test. Maybe this was the most important test in all of history, at least as far as you and I are concerned. And when his son needed him the most, when his son was the most in need, the most helpless, this father turned his back. He turned his face and looked the other way. This father abandoned his son. And the son shouted out to him some of the most horrible words that have ever been spoken. Why have you forsaken me? And then the son died violently and utterly alone. And this is the story of God the Father and Jesus his son. And this is the heartbreaking triumph of the cross. And this, when we come together on Good Friday like we do tonight, is what we reflect on, and it's what we mourn, and it's what we sometimes strangely smile about. So tonight, what I want to do is I want to consider the impact of these nine words that were spoken from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, to begin to understand this, we need to understand that the relationship between this father and this son is one that is impossible for us to wrap our minds around. The Bible teaches that God is a trinity. That is, that there is one God who exists eternally in three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
And all three persons are equally God. They all share all of God's divine power and majesty and attributes. And his three persons, rather than being like cold, uh, withdrawn forces, each member of the Trinity thinks and acts and feels and speaks and relates to each other with real personality. And there exists within the Trinity relationships friendship and affinity and love and genuine joy. There is a fellowship and a community there that is completely free of any selfishness or sin. Have you ever had a time when maybe you've been sitting down to dinner with some of your friends or family members, and you look around at each face who's sitting around the table, and you think to yourself, I love these people so much. And you feel from all of those people, I am loved by them so much. And in that moment, you you just have this sense of belonging, that you fit in, that everything's right. If you felt that, you've had the tiniest taste of the experience of the Trinity. The relationships of the Trinity consist of perfect unity and the deepest imaginable love. And when it comes to Jesus the Son and God the Father, Jesus is not called God's Son in the same sense as a human father and son. It's used as an expression to help us understand their relationship. As a good father adores his son, so God the Father adores Jesus. And as a good son adores his father, so Jesus the Son adores God the Father. But there is no tighter alliance There is no greater love that has ever existed than the love between God the Father and Jesus the Son. And one of the most endearing moments of fatherly affection happens at Jesus' baptism. I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but it's one of my favorite statements in all the Bible. I would have loved to have been there to experience this. Jesus is baptized, and God the Father shouts from heaven for all who are there to hear, This is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased, with whom I am well pleased. It's as if God is beaming with delight and devotion. And he says, I love my boy. I'm pleased with my boy. And he expresses his love. And this is part of what makes the cross so unfathomable. Because we have to ask the question, how could God the Father allow it? The beloved son, Jesus, who had done no wrong. This was Jesus, the innocent one, was betrayed. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was spit upon. He was tortured. All as the father watched. Jesus' clothes were stripped from him. His hands were tied to a post, and he was whipped mercilessly. He was made into a parody of the king he claimed to be. A purple robe was placed on his ruined back and a crown of thorns was put upon his head. He was given a reed to act as kind of a mock scepter and then they took it back from him and beat him on the head with it. And he was taken away to Golgotha, place of the skull, outside the walls of Jerusalem in his hands and his feet were nailed 
to the cross, and he was lifted up in shame and torment in front of everyone. How many of you in this room have a son? How would you feel if this was done to him? The last three hours of Jesus' life from noon until 3 p.m., as he hung on the cross, darkness completely swallowed the earth. It's interesting. Jesus was born into a supernatural life. God put a star in the sky over Bethlehem to announce his birth. But in contrast, in Jesus' death, he died in a supernatural darkness. And it was as if nature itself could not bear the sight of its own creator dying. During that time, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that he who knew no sin, that is Jesus, became sin. And the Bible teaches that on the cross, God looked at Jesus as if Jesus were sin itself. Jesus, in that moment, represented everything that is sinful and vile and wrong in the world and wrong in you and me. He became the symbol of depravity and cruelty and wickedness. Jesus became sin to God. And Jesus cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? you've read the Old Testament, you may know that these are the opening words of Psalm 22 that Jesus recited. And this statement that Jesus made on the cross is known as one of the most mysterious statements in all of the Bible. In fact, it's said that Martin Luther went away in seclusion for some time to try to understand what Jesus meant by this. And when he came back, he was just as confused as when he began. But here's what we do know. We know that on the cross, Jesus became like sin to God. And we also know that God is too holy to look upon sin. And so God turned his face away from his son. And Jesus experienced the unthinkable for the first time in all of eternity. He was separated from his father. And that relationship of the Trinity was torn apart. One fact about this statement that Jesus said that is amazing is that it's the only time recorded in the Bible where Jesus does not address God as his father. Instead, the words he uses are, my God, and those are the words that sinners use. Someone said this about this passage. On that dark midday on Golgotha, when the sun refused to shine, the unimaginable and indescribable happened. That beautiful, shining, loving face of the Father withdrew into the dark, frowning, punishing face of wrath. And Jesus endured all the punishment that is due us. He absorbed the wrath of God against sin. He soaked up God's judgment. Nothing in all of the universe could be so terrible as to be judged 
by God the Father. But there is one thing that comes close. To be God the Father and to judge your one beloved, spotless Son. I think none of us can imagine the sort of impact that the cross had on God the Father. There is one man, I think, who had a small taste, just a small taste of what that was like. His name was Bill Richardson. On April 15th, 2013, two pressure cooker bombs exploded at the Boston Marathon. I'm sure you remember the story almost two years ago to this day. Three people were killed in that attack, and it's estimated that 264 people were injured. A couple of weeks ago, um, the trial, uh, I, I believe, was, was beginning to wind down. And at the trial, for one of the men who had planted the bomb, there was a man who gave his testimony of what happened to him that day. His name was Bill Richard. And uh, Bill is a father of three. Actually, he was a father of three. Now he's a father of two. He was standing at the finish line with his children when the bombs went off. And you've probably seen the footage of that. It was awful. Well, Bill described uh, on the witness stand that after the bomb went off, it, it threw him down onto the ground. And when he stood up, his pants and his sneakers were torn. His legs hurt him. He could barely hear anything. And he looked over, and he saw his eight-year-old son, whose name was Martin, was lying on the sidewalk dying. And there was a crowd that surrounded Martin, and they were trying to help, but there was no hope. It was obvious in looking at him that Martin was not going to make it. And, and then Bill described that he turned around and he saw his seven-year-old daughter, whose name was Jane, and she got up to her feet and, and she stumbled. And he realized that the reason that she stumbled was that she had lost her leg. And Bill said, I knew in my head that I needed to act quickly or we might not only lose Martin, he said, we might lose Jane, too. What would you do if you were him? How would you feel? Well, this poor father grabbed his daughter and he raced as quickly as he could to the hospital to try to save her. But what it meant was that he had to leave Martin to die on the finish line. Can you imagine having to make that choice? I, I hesitated even using this illustration tonight because it's so awful. But here's the thing. At the cross, God the Father had to make a choice a lot like that one. Either Jesus, his own son, takes the penalty for sin, or we do, and for some mysterious reason that we will never be able to fathom, God chose to set us free. You and I are like Jane. We're bleeding and dying. Sin for us is like a self-inflicted wound that has wounded us mortally. But what God does at the cross, God the Father, is he lays hold of us and he scoops us up in his strong arms and he carries us off to safety, all the while 
our Savior bleeds in the background. Jesus was deserted by everyone. He was friendless. He was forsaken. But it is unimaginable to think that even his own father would abandon him in that moment. He was nailed to the cross and he suffered alone in darkness. The cross was excruciating for Jesus, but it was no less so for God the Father. So why would we ever call this Good Friday? Good Friday seems like a name that does not fit the day that we remember today. I want to give each of us some reason for encouragement. In fact, this story, well, so sad. Also, for each one of us, ought to buoy our hearts. Life uh, is full of many struggles and disappointments for all of us. We all know this. We all face problems. We all face grief and suffering and trials, insecurities and fears. Some of us, um, you're aware of exactly what yours are right now because you, you feel them so deeply. But for others of us, it's, it's just kind of always there. It's like a, it's like a dull pain. And unfortunately, all of us have times when we feel like God has deserted us in those struggles. We have times when we do not feel that he cares. We have times when we feel that we have been abandoned by God. Many of us are tempted to believe that, sometimes often. I want you to follow some, some logic for just a second. I want you to think about this. If God was really going to desert us, wouldn't he have done it a long time ago? If God was going to desert us, wouldn't he have done it there at the cross and spared his son all that anguish and pain? Wouldn't he have just stepped in at that moment and said, enough, end this now. That is my beloved son up there. Let them die. It's their sin. Let them clean up their own mess. Let them pay. He shouldn't have to. But if God did not abandon us then, why would he abandon us now? See, the the cross, it, it tells us everything that we need to know about the heart of God. And for some mysterious reason, God has decided to be committed to you and me. That is maybe the other great mystery of the Christian faith. That he promises he will never forsake us. He will never abandon us. He will never turn his back on us. Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we would never have to. Jesus was abandoned by his father so that we could be claimed by ours. What more could God do to show his love for us? What more could he give? A good father stands beside 
his son no matter what. But on Good Friday, God broke that rule. And God proved for all eternity on that day that he is good. Would you stand with me? I'd like to do something I don't normally do. I want to read a prayer. Uh, This is a prayer that was written by the Puritans. I think it's partly a poem and partly a prayer, but I felt like it captured so well what we're coming to reflect on today. So if you want to bow your head and close your eyes and um, consider these words. Christ was all anguish that I might be all joy, cast off that I might be brought in, trodden down as an enemy that I might be welcomed as a friend, surrendered to hell's worst that I might attain heaven's best, stripped that I might be clothed, wounded that I might be healed, athirst that I might drink, tormented that I might be comforted, made a shame that I might inherit glory, entered darkness that I might have eternal life. My Savior wept that all tears might be wiped from my eyes, groaned that I might have endless song, endured all pain that I might have unfading health, wore a thorned crown that I might have a glory diadem, bowed his head, that I might uplift mine, experienced reproach, that I might receive welcome, clothed his eyes in death, that I might gaze on unclouded brightness, died, that I might forever live.